Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. Organizations need to be more invested in um, in really um, inculcating inclusion and diversity entire, into the entire life cycle of the employee. And that starts before they've joined the organization. So that starts in the classroom. I think industry needs to step it up and be an equal partner uh, to make sure that um, there is more representation as people come into the fields. As you help increase representation through the different cycles of the employee's life cycle, um, you can really increase the incoming employees to your organization. And um, eventually we will probably be in a world where quotas are not needed. Siroshi leads the global people research and analytics team at McGraw-Hill. She's passionate about using data to solve challenges of the 21st century global workforce. Siroshi's work is geared towards creating inclusive workspaces for workers from diverse backgrounds using data-driven methods and working with innovative mixed methods research. Siroshi is trained as an engineering educator and she enjoys exploring uses of natural language processing to qualitative data within engineering contexts, both in academic academia and in industry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. I am very, very happy to have Sriyoshi with me today. How are you doing? I am doing well. Um, I'm so excited to be joining in on this podcast and I'm excited to uh, converse with you on all things HR. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to have you here. And, and the first thing that I want to ask you, because well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in the combination of your careers between education, learning, diversity, and engineering. Mm -hmm. And I'm an engineer as well, and I'm always very keen to know the stories about my fellow engineers. So tell me more about how, how why do you combine these two things? Why did you combine engineering with the work in, in the people space, if you will? Uh, right. And uh, yes, absolutely. I noticed that you were uh, an engineer too, an electronics engineer, if I'm right. Um, and yes. um, it's always great to uh, talk with fellow engineers who have entered the HR space. Um, the reason that um, I got into um, people research, people analytics um, is because I I was very interested in, you know, uh, within engineering, the stereotypes that, that exist within engineering. Um, so I did my undergrad in India um, in, in a very male dominated um, uh, discipline in mechanical engineering. And then 
when I moved to the United States, um, I, I noticed that um, you know, women were still uh, underrepresented in the classrooms, but over here, another thing that I found was that there were few women of color as well. So there was that added uh, component of race and intersections. I, I learned about, you know, other intersections that play along with gender, such as socioeconomic status and all, that contribute towards, um, you know, making it really difficult for someone to persist within a discipline. And um, I, as I was studying and I was getting my PhD, I was working on several uh, projects to really understand uh, how engineering is taught, what are the perceptions of engineers. And I realized that it is the same with an industry as well. Um, you know, women, people of color, underrepresented minorities, um, they have a very difficult time sometimes to adapt to an organization culture because it, it's different from, um, from them or it's different from what they have grown up with. Um, and so I was really interested in the um, people analytics, people research space, uh, which brought me to my current role with, with McGraw-Hill, where um, I've been leading global people research and analytics. So, so using a lot of tools and technologies that I learned from my engineering, um, like natural language processing, machine learning, statistics, um, and employing them to contexts to help people um, feel more a part of organizations and feel more included. So it's not adequate, like, like, you know, it's known, it's not adequate to just have diversity, but you want to make sure that there is inclusion um, within everyone in the space. That is, that is uh, fascinating. And I'm <laughs> very happy to hear how you're combining the, you know, all the, all the things that you're doing in engineering with now data and transforming that into something that makes sense for an organization from, from the perspective of diversity, inclusion in the, in the real way, right? In, in, the, in the right way. Let me ask you this. I, we, we often come to this idea of, come across to this idea of having quotas in an organization, right? Mm -hmm. Like this amount of women, this amount of women in positions of leadership. What do you think of quotas? What's, what's your take on, on setting that as the only goal for diversity in an organization? Um, well, so I, I think it's, it's, um, it's a very, um, well, to, for my position, my uh, take on quotas is that they are necessary. Uh, you need to have them going forward um, because they help undo some of the mistakes that have been perpetuating for a long time. Uh, for example, if you don't assign um, a, a certain percentage of, you know, you have to have women, you have to have underrepresented minorities at this percent as part of boards, as part of senior leadership, they're never going to be a part of, you know, those boards and senior leaderships. Um, it's not happened for centuries. It's not changing now unless there are active measures and quotas. Um, although it's seen as, you know, as a bad word, um, and there are certain connotations associated with it, which um, imply that someone is just being handed over something. 
um, I still think that they are necessary. They're absolutely very necessary. However, um, just having quotas um, is, is the lazy way of doing uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, what, uh, and, and that's why when you asked me how education plays in and uh, into the people's space, I think um, organizations need to be more invested in, um, in really um, inculcating inclusion and diversity entire, into the entire life cycle of the employee. And that starts before they've joined the organization. So that starts in the classrooms, that starts when, uh, you know, there's someone who's young who wants to, you know, understand what it means to uh, go to work, what it means to perform as an individual or an employee. You want to make sure that um, you reach out to those uh, individuals, to those learners and provide mentorship from industry. Because um, in industry, we typically rely heavily on academia and say, yeah. oh, you know, the teachers are going to take care of that. And when they come into the industry, they're going to be ready for, um, you know, industry standards and they're going to be perfect employees. Um, but rather than putting the onus entirely on academia or on teachers or professors, I think industry needs to step it up and be an equal partner uh, to make sure that um, there is more representation as people come into the fields. So are enough people getting into uh, engineering disciplines, for example? Um, and as you increase representation or as you help increase representation through the different cycles of the employee's life cycle, um, you can really increase the incoming employees to your organization. And um, eventually we will probably be in a world where quotas are not needed. Yeah. Um, but, but if we don't start working on it from the grassroots and just um, get rid of quotas because they seem unnecessary, that, that seems like a foolish step to, for uh, you know, individuals to persist on. <laughs> and and that's, that's very interesting because it talks about the responsibility that organizations have in working with academia, with maybe... Uh, middle, middle, uh, middle school, and even even before that, to make sure that the the talent that they will need down the road is being properly trained and educated, and and they have the mindset that we know that some of these workplaces uh, are going to need. That's that's very interesting, and I, and I love that. You know, Sersha, one of the things that you do very often is you you are analyzing all these global trends. When it comes to workforce, I mean, you have a very large workforce in McGraw Hill, but of course you look across the board. What are some of the most uh, maybe important challenges that you see in, in, in the workforce these days? What's, what, what, what are they dealing with? What are the challenges and how do we overcome some of those challenges? Um, I, I think uh, like from my experience with McGraw Hill, um, we we have presence across forty five countries across the world, um, and um, one of the things that I've seen is that while uh, the challenges may seem global, 
it, it may seem that, um, you know, someone sitting in the US or someone sitting in some other country, maybe India, maybe Australia, uh, Singapore, uh, they, they may be facing the same challenges. Um, it's, it's, and which may be the case, um, I, I encourage adopting context specific and local um, solutions to those problems. So um, even though challenges may be global, the solutions to them may need to be local, they need to be sustainable, they need to be uh, specific to the individuals facing it. And I think that is one of um, the biggest challenges as you work within the HR space, because on the one hand, you're trying to come up with company-wide, um, you know, uh, company-wide regulations, company-wide standards. So how do you go about making something um, local or sustainable? Um, so that is a fine, uh, you know, balance that, that one needs to uh, keep maintaining. Um, another thing is that with all of the technologies that we have in place and, and with all of the resources that we have in place, um, we may sometimes overburden uh, employees or uh, with constant, um, you know, surveys, constant um, feedback. And, you know, there's, there's a survey about how you felt other surveys could have been, you know, it, it's just, um, I feel like make sure that you're actively listening to the employees rather than just um, providing them with means to communicate to you. So, so it's one thing that you're, you're developing these surveys and sending them out to, to all your employees but another to actually sit down and make meaning of it and then and then see what that means uh, in terms of implications for your organization so so really listening from all of those is another challenge uh, within hr um, finally i think um, with human resources i guess um, you know, you know, just the term human resources, it, it came about as, as understanding humans as resources mm. for an organization. Yeah. Um, but, but really that needs to be expanded or rather that definition needs to be discarded and HR needs to be the resource for the humans or the people at an organization. I love that. Um, we're, ch we're changing the letters now. RH, yeah, resources yeah. for humans. I love that, wow. Absolutely. <laughs> to provide the resources so that, uh, you know, the people at your organization are empowered. Um, and, this, and this happens not just within, you know, the different initiatives that you have in place, like, like you know, for example, inclusion and diversity, um, but really helping them take those different initiatives and apply it to their work. So, so when, when you do um, inclusion diversity initiatives, it doesn't, uh, it's not adequate, for example, to just have, um, just, just have one initiative, just have one mentorship experience, just have, um, you know, just a speaker series or something. You want to make sure that the initiatives that you have in place are you also provide resources to the employee to adopt those uh, learnings 
into their work so that they can really carry forward what they've learned in what they do. Because if there's a disconnect between things like inclusion and diversity and the work that they do, um, these things are never going to move forward. And, and that goes back to something that I'm pretty sure you probably love a lot. And it's this idea of measuring outputs versus measuring outcomes, which mm -hmm. is ultimately what's, what's happened in, in HR for a long time. We, we congratulate ourselves for the measuring of outputs, but we don't see the impact of those outputs in the long term, which is, out, which is the measuring of the outcomes. And that's exactly right. what you're saying, right? We may be doing all this training. We may be even setting up the quotas, but then the reality is that the outcome, the implications or the impact of those things in the workplace is not what we expect them to be. And uh, I, I love that you're mentioning that. I, I know that part of the work that you do is in predictive analytics. Mm -hmm. are, are you, have you guys done some, some work around the kind of skills that you think you're going to need down the road uh, you know, in the next few months, few years? Have you done some, some work around those, those, uh, those lines? Um, so it's, uh, well, first I'll, I'll preface by saying that, yes, um, we, we do use predictive an analytics a lot. We, we use predictive analytics to, to look at, um, you know, engagement, turnover, those kind of things, um, just like most other companies are at this point. Um, but, but one of the things that we're making sure um, that we consciously adopt within uh, McGraw-Hill is that... Um, we don't just rely on predictive analytics because predictive analytics comes with an implication that, that you have some kind of underlying data um, that, that is being used to predict something. Um, and, and what if that underlying data itself changes? Uh, is it representative entirely of what the future may hold? So, so we really encourage use of mixed methods, um, which is going beyond just predictive analytics, just quantitative heavy data, heavy um, insights to, to really understanding the people, the human behind those analytics. And like you said, the implications, because um, with the, without the implications, um, really any initiative or any, um, anything is, is really meaningless um, if, if you really think about it. Um, so, so, so I guess, um, and, and what was your question? I, I got distracted with the That's totally fine. No, I was, I just, I just wanted to know if you, you're using predictive analytics or any other approach to sort of define or, or at least have an idea of what you think the skills that you will need are right and, and and I'm asking that question because I'm interested in, in knowing if you're doing some work around, well, you know, in probably this is the way our industry will change in the next five years. And we may need, you know, these are the skills that we have today, but these are the skills that we're going to need in the future. Is any work being done in that, in that regard? Um, so we have started a lot of work on that. And then, you know, um, the pandemic happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so right now, uh, our efforts were directed towards the return to work. Um, yeah. Because, you know, what we had held as status quo for such a long time, for decades and years, um, and with McGraw-Hill really um, a century, um, are challenged now because employees are working from home, uh, they're remote, so whatever, um, you know, 
upskilling or reskilling that we were talking about in the in uh, the months prior to COVID are are imbalanced right now. Employees are now learning about you know how to operate or function from their homes with their children running about. Um, with caring for adults, uh, you know, with the elderly caring for their family, um, just just surviving during a pandemic and also being productive. So, so during this time, I think um, right now what we are focusing on is um, really helping people understand um, the importance of lifelong learning because this pandemic brings with it. Um, this very impactful lesson of lifelong learning um, in that you you need to be constantly adapting yourself to the challenges that come your way and within hr um, or within culture and talent one needs to really be mindful of those challenges that employees may be facing um, and and really putting people first in their analytics um, as we look at the problems is is important so um so in terms of upskilling in terms of skills for the future of work um it, it's so you know if you'd asked me if we had had this conversation six months ago it, it would have been such a different conversation yeah. as opposed to right now um but but in essence they're they're the same because it, it's basically you have to be adaptive. You have to yeah. be able to take your skills and be sustainable for the future. And um, when we talked about the six months ago, it, it meant a future which came in, you know, 10 years or 20 years from now. Um, but when we talk about it in the current, it's, it's the future that we are living in right now, in the moment, yeah. in the present. Because every day um, has, has basically been a science fiction movie so yeah but you know you know what's 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 interesting and one thing that we engineers know very well i think that is that what our technical skills today may be completely obsolete in six months from now Absolutely. and and you know i just think about my electronic engineer degree you know 20 20 years ago i don't think that any of the things that i learned as technical skills are mean anything today but right. what mattered was exactly what you said, the capacity for me to be learning all the time, mm -hmm. to be changing, to be adapting. And that's a very human thing. You know, it's, you think about it, it's not, there's no technicality in it. It's no. just being the human that we had always been, I guess. But, but I, don't, I don't know. I think we forget a little bit about how to be adaptive and how to be, uh, you know, um, how to be learning all the time because we get too comfortable sometimes doing the same thing over and over again. And, and unfortunately, that happens in HR very often, right? Mm -hmm. That we get very comfortable with doing the same thing day in and day out, that the muscle of adaptability gets weak. And now yeah. we are thrown into this craziness of coronavirus and you know, the muscle is weak, but now we have to train it again. Yes, yes, absolutely. My, so my mother is an educator and uh, growing up, I remember... Um, so she had students coming in and, uh, and you know, they used to, and I was like a really small child at that time. And, and they used to say that your mom teaches us that the most important skill is learning to unlearn. Wow. Um, and, and at that time, you know, I, I really did it. 
it, it was just a phrase that stuck with me, learning to unlearn. Um, but right now, as, as, you know, as we live through this pandemic, it really makes sense to me. There are so many things that we're learning to unlearn right from basic things like, you know, commuting to work, uh, how to switch off when you're done for the day because we had all of these systems in place you know we uh, we would get up from our desks and commute back to uh, home and we were done for the day but how does that happen when we're living at our workplaces yeah. um so so you know there it, it's it's such a lesson because we're learning to unlearn all of these things that we've learned about working yeah um and um i i think to your point that that it's it's happening in the now the the um, the adapting to all of this um, all of these challenges is is it, it's scary but but it, and unprecedented of course um, but but what a treasure for for the future you know as we yeah. move forward this, the learnings that we have right now I think will be essential as we plan for the future of of the workplace of the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, seriously, there are there are two things that I that I of course want to, uh, and I'm switch totally switching gears here, uh, that I want to ask you. One of them is ethics in data, and the other one is about empathy. They seem to be totally unrelated, but they come together in you, because I know you are very big in these two things. So, so the first one is, you know, if you can be very tactical about this question, is how can we ensure that our employees in the workplace know that their, their data is managed in an ethical way. And this is very important because we know that data has become a commodity now and all of these major companies make a lot of money by selling and utilizing our data, sometimes without us even knowing that that's happening. So how do, from the HR perspective, but also from the corporate perspective, how can we tell people your data is being utilized uh, appropriately and we're with you know the ethics that that it needs to be uh, you know taken into account when we're managing your data how, how do we ensure that um so ethics when it comes to data like you said data has been commodified to such an extent it's very important to make sure that uh, you are conveying to your stakeholders and the people whose data it is being the most important stakeholder that what you're doing is ethical mm-hmm. um, and one way to do that is like you said you know empathy and ethics they may not seem related but they are you want to place yourself in the employee's uh, shoes and really uh, think about oh would i be comfortable with this data being you know sold to someone, how, how would I be comfortable with um, this data being used? And, and really going beyond empathy also in asking questions and being transparent about you know, how you're using the data. So whenever you have surveys or whenever you're collecting data, you're doing interviews, maybe you're even um, you know, right at the get-go when you're getting an employee into your uh, talent acquisition system, whenever you're collecting any information about that employee or that individual, making sure you have consent and uh, making sure that you uh, convey how the data is going to be used in the future. 
um, within academia, we have, um, you know, institutional review boards or the IRBs, which take care of how data is going to be treated or how data is going to be managed. But within industry, um, there, there needs to be better ways to convey to the stakeholders as to how ethically you're going to make sure that, that the data is, um, is, is not going to be abused. Yeah. Um, in a way, and that goes into right from collection to analyzing the data to making sure that you know the methods that you're using to analyze the data does, is free of your internal biases. You're yeah. not you're not carrying forward your own biases or your own uh, rationale or end goals. Um, you know that that you want to see from the data into your analyses. So, so really being transparent is one of uh, the key things that, that as uh, an HR person, as a corporate person, you can be with your employees um, in letting them know, in letting them know your biases. It's not wrong to have biases. We all have yeah. them. But acknowledging them and making sure that you have diff different multiple perspectives coming in as you're making meaning of the data. So, yeah. so that is just not a singular narrative that, that you know, goes on um, using the data. That, that that's, makes sense. That, it totally makes sense. And I'm, 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 you know, very happy that you're raising this idea of transparency because, well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not only important, it's, it should be a mandate for organizations that Absolutely. they are transparent in the way they are utilizing our data. Mm -hmm. And of course, the other question that I wanted to ask you is the, I know you you have written about empathy, mm -hmm. and how does empathy come together in the work that you do? I mean, you are an engineer now working in the people analytics space. What does empathy have to do with all this work that you do? Um, so when uh, I so right now at work, I'm I'm working with all of this these data from you know. Um, over 5,000 employees spread over the world um, and, and, you know, I'm making meaning for off their data to um, help the senior leadership make decisions to make policy related changes, maybe. Um, and how does that, how does one go about doing it without empathy? Like, um, you know, it, I, I feel like when you are, when you have chosen a career as a professional within human resources, um, if, if you are devoid of empathy, um, then maybe it's, it's time to reconsider the space that you are in. <laughs> Having said that, um, there are a lot of uh, power dynamics that come in when, when you employ um, empathy. So, um, you know, casually empathy uh, is defined as putting oneself in someone else's shoes. Um, but but when there are when there is a power dynamic involved, how do you even go about putting yourself in someone else's shoes? And this is very important for leaders and you know HR professionals or uh, or someone within the corporate to really understand is that you want to make sure that you're asking enough questions and you're not just assuming. Um, in that, you know, you can be a very empathetic person and that is a skill and that is definitely um, a plus to have. But at the same time, if you force your assumptions, your preconceived notions um, and your um, 
you know, lived experiences on someone else because you're empathetic, that is again a problem too. So, so while being empathetic, you want to realize that someone else may have a set of challenges that are different from your own, but then you want to extend beyond empathy and give that person the chance to explain themselves and have autonomy to choose what they want their decision making to look like. So, so within HR, I feel like empathy is great and probably all of us have some level of empathy. Um, but it, it's imperative that uh, as HR professionals, we go beyond empathy and, um, you know, really listen and learn and ask questions from, uh, from the people that we are serving. I, so I love so the resources for humans, the Absolutely. RH, you've termed. <laughs> the RH, yeah. And I love that you're bringing data together with empathy because data can tell you something and, you know, maybe somebody's having low performance, you know, over an extended period of time. And then that's what the data tells you. But then you ask that person what's going on and you find out that they have a sick loved one or, Absolutely. you know, they are having financial difficulties. So there's, there's the data component, of course, that you also will, that you always will be leveraged on, leveraging on. But at the same time, there's the humanity that goes behind that data. And I think that is, that combination is powerful in your work, of course, and for leaders, you know, to understand these, these two things. Sergi, as we uh, wrap up this conversation, I, I always end up asking the same question at the end of the, of mm-hmm. the podcast. And the question is a two-part question. One is, what excites you about the future and what concerns you about the future? Um, so I, I think what really excites me about the future is um, the opportunities, uh, the opportunities that are coming in to, to employ so many different uh, technologies and so many different perspectives uh, within, um, you know, serving people, uh, within serving employees, within making meaning of data. We, we've, we've increased uh, the capacity of to you know, process data, it has increased um, subs- uh, substantially across you know the past years. Um, so, so really, the opportunity, or, or rather, the fact that HR is no longer siloed, it's it's yeah. no longer you know within that ivory tower, or it's 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 more accessible now. It's 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 using technologies that are the future or are the present. Um, so, so we are living in that age where we are um, incorporating, you know, exciting new opportunities for HR. So, so that's, um, that's the exciting part of it. And uh, with that are the concerns in that, you know, um, let's not get carried away. There are going to be technologies, predictive analytics, for example, uh, machine learning, AI, they are great, uh, you know, resources. They're they're great, um, helpful augmenters to help us do our job better. Um, but but let's remember that they're they're only tools, and you know, yeah. with every tool that there, there comes a manual, and you want to be sure that you you know you go through the user manual before you um, go ahead and experiment with that tool. You want to make sure that you know the challenges, the implications, like like we were talking about, what are the long-term implications, what are the short-term implications. 
um, and, and before revamping an entire system, really deliberating on things like, you know, how ethical is this? How, how sustainable is this? And, and doing so in a transparent way so that employees have buy-in as, you know, we go through this process of uh, reinventing the future of work together. Absolutely. That is, that is fantastic. Sriyoshi, thank you so much for being with me today. This was a thank fascinating conversation about so many different things. It's, you know, time, <laughs> time went by too quickly. So thank you so much for being with me. No, thank um, you so much. This was a great opportunity. <laughs> absolutely. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.